0: Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses, and Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and Its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses All available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American citizenship and its decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hanson today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash VDH to start hillsdale.edu slash VDH. Hello, ladies. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, the classicist. I am the host. My name is Jack Fowler, but the namesake and star of the show is Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Ely Anderson senior fellow with the Hoover Institution and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Dying Citizen. More about Victor, more about his website, VictorHanson.com. Coming up, we have a number of issues to talk about today. We're recording on uh, Friday October 5th, a few days after the election. Uh, Much of the election material Victor discussed on the episode of The Traditionalist, but today on The Classicist, we'll talk about a few cultural matters, including who won the Cold War. Is it even over? Let's get to that and other matters right after this important message. classicist. This is one of the three programs under the umbrella of the Victor Davis Hanson show. The other is the traditionalist. And then there's the culturalist, which is hosted by the great Sammy Wink. We hope and encourage you to listen to, uh, to all today's uh, program. Victor, let's start off by talking about a really big, important, juicy, detailed piece. Uh, you uh, wrote this earlier this week for American Greatness. It's titled, Who Eventually won the Cold War. Victor, there's a couple of things we'll get into on this, but why don't you just talk briefly at first about like what what prompted you to write this piece? And the implication you get from reading it is, uh, well, maybe the Cold War ended, as you said, it ended 30 years ago, but uh, I don't know. Is it really over? Yeah, I was thinking there's a lot of catalysts. But I'll go for that. I was
2: thinking, how did we win the Cold War? I mean, the Soviet Union had about 50 million people usually throughout the cold War, more more than we did. It had 40% more territory. China had the same amount of territory, but it had about a billion people at that time. And yet we defeated both of them and we never had to go to war. And the answer was we had an open and free society and we had a lot of unorthodox people and they were, came from all walks of life. They did not fit the, Uh, aristocratic, go to the Ivy League necessarily, and then say the right things. You had a guy like Steve Jobs. It was kind of an oddball. You had a geek like Bill Gates. You had a weirdo in Nebraska like Warren Buffett. You had a guy like Ross Perot. But that was the idea. You wanted as many different weird people that brought into the uh, conversation a lot of different experiences. And they could say whatever they want and that open and unfettered manner of research was in dire contrast to the cultural revolution that was going on in china where they were putting dunce caps on intellectuals or beating them up if they wore glasses or killing them or in the soviet union where you had commissars that were checking everybody's ideology or snitches that were overhearing people or going back through their history or Trotskyizing, changing names and toppling statues and accusing each other of counter revolution And it it turned out that it really had an effect on the efficacy of the economy, of the military, of the political stability of those societies. That's how we won. So I'm thinking they kind of learned from that because Putin the other day gave a very, very weird, scary speech. I mean, the guy is a brilliant, evil propagandist. And what he said was, whoa, I, I can't believe it. You criticize us. But you remind me of the Bolsheviks and we had, they destroyed our society for 50 years. And what did they do? They, they ratted each other out. They went back and looked everybody's history to try to destroy somebody's life. They turned one area of ideological part of Russia against the other. They were racist. They did this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just a simple person. We kind of believe there's two genders and, you know, you've got to be tolerant and it was, it was, but it was all couched in, keep doing it, because we just love it. Right. Because you are like what we were, and we lost the Cold War. That was the text, subtext. And then we had the Chinese model take on it, and theirs was kind of, huh, I like this idea what the Americans are doing, because we are, according to their own definition, victims as being non-white. So Wuhan, uh, Wuhan Laboratory Virology enhancement, travel, racist, racist, racist. How dare you call us this? Ra- spy being arrested at American University, spy being arrested in Silicon, racist, racist, racist. And they, they were so adept at it that people, you know, in Hollywood, if you're an, a villain, you you got yeah. a bald head with an orthodox cross tattooed to your back or face, and you have that horrible Russian accent, that's, and if you're Chinese, Chinese government says, you know, we don't want to portray Chinese negatively. Now, we don't want dark people in our movies for your right. for our market. So they were very adept at it. So I was trying to suggest that after we won the war, this woke culture kind of blended the Soviet commissariat together with the Cultural Revolution. And so what the result is, if you go to a university today and you say any of the following. I'm not sure that climate change to the degree that it exists is caused really by man-made activity. And if it is caused by man-made activity, given the role of China and and India, I don't know whether in a cost-to-benefit analysis you can do much in the United States without wrecking the economy. If you say that, you will be ostracized. You will not be able to publish and you will be a pariah. If you say, where I work, there are only two genders. And if you can construct your own gender, then you can construct your own race. You can say I'm black tomorrow. Like, why do we, you know, out Ward Churchill or Elizabeth Warren? And we don't okay. out people who change their genders? Why can't Elizabeth Warren say, I have I want affirmative action because now I'm a Native American? She did, and we laughed at her. What's the difference? And so, if I said that at a university publicly and I had something you know that I wanted, I wanted a job at say as a professor in a classics department, I, I couldn't do it. And so you can't say things. And we go back through people's lives. We go back eight, nine, 10 years, 11 years, and find out if they ever said or did anything. And we go after them. We go into the bathroom after U.S. senators, into the bathroom, and scream in their faces as if we're the young Red Guard of Mao's era. These young people that are doing that, going to people's homes, screaming at them, they're Maoist. they're Red Guards. And what do they want? They want no dissent. They want no tolerance. And you you can't question anything. If you say that diversity, equity, and inclusion czars, provosts, deans, or commissariat, that is, they're they're not going to produce anything. They're not going to raise test scores. They're not going to improve the ability to teach grammar or analysis or logic. They're simply going to look over the shoulder of everybody and say, I'm watching you. And if you deviate from orthodoxy one iota i'm getting paid and advanced and promoted to spot that so you can do two things you can either deviate and make me more important than ever when i call you out and destroy you or you can be obsequious and totish and show abeyance to me and i'll let you slide and that's what it is it's no different than the cultural revolution so we won the cold war by being the antithesis of all that. And the Soviets and the Chinese are oppressing us again because they feel that we adopted all of their worst traits. And they, to the extent dictatorships can, they try to open their societies a little bit vis-a-vis the Soviet or the Mao system.
0: Well, Victor, the the word war is in the phrase Cold War. And uh, some of this that uh, we have written about, and we've talked about this on... Previous podcast, but it touches on the possibility of actual war, uh, the wokeism of General Milley and the and the, and the U.S. military, if, you know, uh, affecting. Uh, chi- uh, he's calling up China to warn them and uh, of, about something that you know really won't happen, but nevertheless sends a sign of weakness. And it's uh, it's interesting, not more than interesting. It's almost kind of frightening that the cultural war might could actually lead to actual war. Absolutely, and something's got to happen
2: to moderate this tension. And I, I'll be a little controversial here, Jack. I don't see, I see some conservatives, you know, that want to go back in somebody's past. When they say, I don't want critical race theory, they're not saying I don't want theories, you know, tried out. They they just say, I don't want racism tried out on my kid, because that's what it is. But but they're not getting into your face. They're not saying to everybody, we're going to do it this way or the highway. You know, when they did riot on January 6th, and when they were condemned, they paid a price. When the left did it for 120 days and looted and burned, killed 28 people and Thousand police people were injured. They didn't pay a price for that. Very few people were incarcerated. Very few people are in jail now for that. So what I'm getting at is that you can't play kumbaya and say both sides, both sides, both sides. This is an assault on the left. It's a Jacobin assault on the left, on the origins, the growth, maturity, and the future of America. And these people do not like it. And I don't know whether that's sincere because they seem to be very wealthy people and they seem to be smart enough to know they would not be very wealthy people uh, in China or Russia or even in confiscatory Europe, although we're getting close to Europe now. So you think they would have a little bit of gratitude or they're totally cynical. And by that, I mean, they're going to find a way that the consequences of their own ideology never apply to themselves. So when Dyson goes on there and screams and yells, uh, he goes back and somebody says, great job, Professor Dyson, I'm going to promote you. And that's why he does it. He doesn't really believe that crazy idea or Joy Reed, you know, who was a complete homophobic zealot has a whole history of being homophobic. She just moused this stuff because it, it led to career rewards. And so Yeah, we're having a civil war now, but it's one sided. And what was interesting about Virginia was it was a message to the country. Well, I I think I've used the term uh, monastery of the mind. It's not enough anymore to turn off the NBA. It's not enough not to go watch a Hollywood motion picture first release. It's not enough. To uh, not go to an NBA game, it's not enough to not to watch network news. It's not enough to tune out the Emmys and the Grammys and the Tonys and the Oscar. That's not enough anymore. Not enough to go out into Utah badlands or up to Wyoming or deep into the Smoky Mountains and just say I'm done with this crazy place yeah. because they will come for you. It's ubiquitous in this technological interconnected age of you know global communications, etc. And surveillance and. Yeah. They run all of the institutions. So if you're in a blue state, if you're in a purple state, you're going to have to stay and fight. And that's why I really admire those uh, parents in Virginia. They didn't just say, you can't deal with these people. They're Marxists. They're Maoists. They're nuts. They lie. They're not transparent. They they draft letters to the government to get the FBI on me as if they use terms like domestic terrorist of me. But they said, do your worst and we'll do our best. We'll see who wins because this is not your state. It's my state. I think we're going to have to get that attitude.
0: I agree. You know, Victor, the uh, level of mendacity, um, let's pick on Virginia and uh, for our next uh, uh, topic, critical race theory. So I'm interested, and I I will hope our listeners are interested in, in your take on this Spin, or it's really a BS line that there's no such thing as critical race theory. Of course, there's not. We've seen on the MSNBC hosts and speakers, they had the education secretary on some, I don't think he was on the view of, yeah, no, there's no such thing. That's maybe something taught in college. Terry McAuliffe running. For governor, uh, same thing. Of course, evidence comes out that they, when he was governor, he explicitly uh, demanded that the Virginia Department of Education uh, teach, quote, critical race theory, end quote. So, but we have this line of with BS. And it's to me, if we could lump this in with another mantra that's emerging out there, I think I read somewhere that Juan Williams was giving this line out the other day that now parental rights, quote unquote, parental rights, is code for white supremacy. Yeah, you know, everything, it's just like, everything is race. It's inescapable from the left. They just have to uh, categorize everything under that. So anyway, Victor, your thoughts on that line, there's no such thing as critical race theory. And on this spin of uh, parental rights is really a white racism.
2: Yeah, I mean, I uh, if you go to my website, I have a little piece on, I try to do it, words don't matter section, and yes. I have 20 terms that they have taken and they don't mean anything what they say they mean. And so but by that, I mean, they're always changing the language. So when Juan Williams says that about parents, he's just an Orwellian. And what he's trying to do is, is to take a perfectly good word and then to load it up so people don't use it. And that's why they do it. And remember, if you and I had this conversation nine months ago, all we heard was critical race theory, critical race theory, critical race theory. It was in the aftermath of the George Floyd riots. And the subtext was, if you don't go down this road, there's gonna be more riots and more violence. And we're gonna take over this country. And Joe Biden has won the election and Bernie Sanders agenda is being implemented. And it's BLM, 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 it's time to cash in. And so everybody said, okay. And then they were boasting, Kendi was $20,000 a half hour, critical race theory. It was the, they weren't ashamed of it. If you go back, a lot of people have done it. Look what those people were saying in January and February. They were pushing critical race theory openly down people's throats. They were happy about it. I I saw it it, where I work. Uh, We had all of the elements of critical race theory. That was a new, and then all of a sudden, blue states, blue states, not Oklahoma, not Texas, not Montana, not North Dakota, said, no more. This stuff threatens civilization. This is Yugoslavia. This is Rwanda. This is Iraq. This will destroy this country. These are racist, these people. These are no different than Milosevic. These people want to destroy people on the basis of their race. This can't work. Whatever your republic, we're going to stop it. Even here, where they have all of the levers of power and money and influence. And they did. And so now, all of a sudden, they're you Because remember, they're revolutionaries; they never, they never stop, but they always change strategy. Hmm. Well, now we have to say that the people who are saying critical race theory are the racists, and we don't want to use that word critical race theory anymore. We want to talk about remedial education or tutoring America on their own past or the history of toxic racism or just African American issues of the past. You know, they're like rust; They never sleep, but they always change the vocabulary when they feel that it's no longer useful. Critical race theory is no longer useful to them anymore. And just like global warming was no longer useful to them anymore. Once all of a sudden people started saying, well, you know, in the last seven years, the last 10 years, or, you know, there was an ice age in the 70s, little they thought, okay, we'll just call it climate change. And anything that's aberrant, is climate change, cold, hot, calm, windy, rain, drought, climate change. And same thing with about that was the idea of critical race theory. It was racist, racist, racist everywhere. Oh, that no longer works. Well, we'll call it something else. And they're doing that right now.
0: Victor, talking about uh, climate change, and we will go, we will, uh, after that, we'll maybe talk about that uh, piece you mentioned of uh, 20 words that mean uh, nothing. If I uh, just like to see if you have any thoughts about this, um, I'll call it COP26. I don't know what maybe people call it COP26, but that this conference over in Glasgow that, that Biden was at, he was sleeping at anyway. And uh, uh, um, what's her name? Oh, my gosh. The annoying young girl, Greta. Yes, Greta. Sorry, Greta Thunberg, Greta Thunberg. and uh, the you know the the usual suspects have been rounded up, thirty thousand of them, and uh, most many of them flying in and out on private jets and and uh, uh, driving there in caravans. So, any thoughts about? this uh, conference and then separately, and I had sent you a piece. I don't know if you got to, to look at it. It's uh, it's by a guy named Tim black, writing in spiked. And and, it, and we've heard this before too, but it's, it's titled how the climate lobby crushed debate. And it's, it's almost complete in the science community that any disagreement on cl- whatever you want to call it, global warming, climate change. If you do not genuflect, we, uh, to the entire doctrine, uh, you will be crushed, which kind of you know, parallels COVID. You're talking about that it might have come from Wuhan uh, earlier in the year. You're going to be crushed if you disagree with the folks who somehow seem to be writing the catechisms. Anyway, Victor, any thoughts on on? Yeah, I uh, mean,
2: it's very much akin to COVID, but it's And it's very much akin to critical race theory. Think about the COVID. So everybody has to have a mandate if you're not vaccinated. You have to get vaccinated. You have to social distance, except if you're Gavin Newsom or Mayor Brand of San Francisco or Nancy Pelosi or, you know, the governor of Michigan. So we all are Bill de Blasio. Or if you're critical race theory and everybody's a racist and you're going to have to do this, 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 and here's the public schools. But if you're Barack Obama, you put your kids in, in prep schools and you live in a gated estate. So what I'm getting at is it's, in that sense, it's an elite fixation of very wealthy, leisured people who have no intention of suffering the consequences of their own ideology. So what happens? Was it 1,000 limos lined up? Mm-hmm. Gas. I would never I've never driven one of those things in my life because I couldn't afford a black Lincoln Navigator or a black Yukon whatever they are. I mean they're like I don't know, 10 15 miles a gallon <laughs> yeah. in in city traffic and then there's 400 private jets that I don't know what they do, four gallons a minute or something. They leave these huge carbon trails, but it's the John Kerry theory. It's the Al Gore theory. I have to fly private so I can make sure that soon nobody will fly private. But more or less, the real message is I have to fly private so you don't use a snowmobile and you don't go water skiing and you don't have a gas blower in L.A you poor pee on stupid idiots or Al Gore saying, I have to sell my cable TV bankrupt station. I got to do it before the capital gains kick in and I've got to sell it to carbon rich gutter. Who's going to have an anti-Semitic Al Jazeera buyer ready for me. Cause I want those fossil fuel profits 50 million so that I can better tell people not to do what I do. Same thing with John Kerry. I've got to move my yacht out of Massachusetts so I don't have to pay property tax on it because that way it will free up more money so I can be more effective for you. And that's the whole, it doesn't really matter what the issue is. It's the ideology. It's this by coastal elite that feels that they have superseded given their wealth the daily challenge to live one more day, food, you know, gas prices, electricity price, they don't care anymore. If you told any of those guys at Davos, people in California, in Madeira or Visalia, can't afford $5 gas. They just can't they can't drive.
0: Right.
2: And they're gonna say, $7. well, why not? I can pay $8 a gallon for aviation flu. I'm making right. my sacrifice. And that's how they think. And so That's what the climate thing. And then the other thing that's very emblematic of all of these things is they are religious zealots. They're not empirical scientific people. They don't believe in, quote, the science. We found that out with COVID. If you told those people the verdict is not out. But if you get COVID and you get a high antibody, level from a fairly long case you will have as much parity as far as inoculation immunity as inoculation immunity it'll be similar and therefore we could have an antibody test or t someday we can get a test that actually finds an antibody or t cell or something that correlates with immunity and this is what we're going to do and they will say no no we have to nobly lie. We have to tell everybody you've got to get a vaccination because if they think they can get COVID and get the same thing and go to a restaurant, then they might not get vaccinated and then they might uh, get sick one day and that's not as good. So you can't argue with them. And the same thing about if you tell a climate zealot and I've spoken to people in class about climate change when I've been invited on the rare occasions at Stanford to speak to classes or to groups, and they will, you tell them very politely, look, the biggest polluter in the world is China. The biggest, second biggest is India. They rely on coal. They have to. And their cities are a mess. And we are a global village. And we have cut our carbon emissions every single year of the last 10 years. And we are outpacing the people in the climate accord, uh, Paris Climate Accord. And we're doing it because we have so much natural gas that leaves such a smaller footprint as far as carbon emissions than either burning oil and especially coal. And so if you tell them that, they don't care. They'll say, well, we exploited India, we exploited China. And what that means is we have to find a political guilt ridden exegesis so to explain why we can't do anything about it so they say well the british you know they exercised colonial powers over india and china was inhabited and colonized and occupied so yeah they have to catch up so just as we were polluting in the 1870s up to 1950 or 60s so they get their turn we can't deal with what they're really saying is that india and china say you know what we've got two and a half billion people screw you You can't do anything about it. That's what they tell them privately. And so then they turn around and say to the American middle class, you've already done more than anybody in the world to cut emissions, but you're still guilty. So we're going after that gas boat. We're going after that jet ski. We're going after that snowmobile. And that's what we're going to do. And you're culpable. And we're going to keep pressing and pressing on you. And you know what? Uh, The air in the planet, really, we found out, doesn't circulate. So our air stays there permanently above us. And it's mm. going to be, you know, it's our air and their air doesn't come over here. So that's that's kind of the anti-science right. dogma. Or they would be right now hectoring China all day. John Kerry flies over there every once in a while. And, and, and John Kerry's milk toast manners. Maybe court sort of could have maybe sort of maybe might you cut a little bit that cold. Now get the hell out of here. Right. And that's where we are. So remember another thing about the leftist mind, I think all of our listeners know that they always go after the law abiding citizen and they go after the misdemeanor. They never go after the felony of the person who's either too poor or protected species or they're afraid of. That's what the bullying uh, nature of the left is. So they will never go after China. They'll never go after India, but they will bully somebody who nods his head and says, okay, I'll turn in my diesel tractor and I'll try to get something new or I'll get an electric car, just like you told me. It's just like when you build a house or you're out here in the Valley and you try to remodel your home and they drive along and they see it and they come in and they say, hmm, you're going to pay this fine, this fine, this fine. You, you Let's discuss it. And then they drive another mile back and it's chaos. It's a third world thing where there's 50 cars and there's unlicensed dog. And it's a total chaos. And they'll never say to those occupants, as one person said to me, Mr. Hansen, where would I start? There's thousands of felonies over there. The people are here illegally. They're poor. They're not going to pay a fine, but they are going to complain that I'm a racist. So I'm not going to get near that place. He told me that. And off the record, I won't mention his name, but then you will pay. And so we're going to fine you if you don't follow what we tell you you can do. And that's, that works on the national scene as well. It's a very bullying attitude by the left. They always bully and they order and they dictate to people who are trying to do a good job and are trying to follow the rules. And they make fun of them and call them bourgeoisies and middle-class values, Sarah Payton types. And then they romanticize the people who tell them, screw you, I'm not going to listen to you.
0: Well, Victor, they may be going too far, even in uh, San Francisco. And we will talk about that right after this message. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code Victor V-I-C-T-O-R for your discount. That's promo code Victor at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, we're back with the classicist we're recording on um, Friday. Uh, November 5th. So, Victor, I'm pulling a fast one, although I don't think it's too fast. You know what's going on. I sent you uh, a link and a picture earlier in the week, and it kind of struck me as crazy. Those containers and and their contents, which somehow or other do actually get off the ships in Long Beach and are are put on trains to be transported across America. There's this huge train crime epidemic in California. By the way, we talk about things California on the classicist. And this image of these freight trains being stopped and then they're plundered right there on the tracks, is amazing debris everywhere. And so we've got significant crime in California. I think this affects you know the supply chain. Don't be Meanwhile, so judgmental.
2: Your crime is somebody's liberation.
0: <laughs> that crime is, you yeah, know, my lack of a of a chip I need for a device, but also, Victor, now this is the spring on you because I just, I found this piece and it's about the, um, the DEA of San Francisco. Yet another <laughs> store, Safeway, just closing. A number of Walgreens stores have just shut down in San Francisco. Safeway, you know, supermarket. People need to buy food, right? Well, they can't buy it if it's not open. And then the, sh- the store's not open, or they're closing early because this relentless shoplifting spree that's gone on unprosecuted by the district attorney. But uh, news to me is, I think, Chase Aboden is how uh, the DA's name yeah, is, is pronounced. Child there is now of, a child, uh,
2: child of terrorists.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it it's just a recall, a recall. I'm glad you brought it up
2: because it's an illustration of what we just talked about. So you're presented with a dilemma if you're a San Francisco official, municipal official, and that is that a lot of people who either claim they're marginalized, either racially or economically, they're going in and they're looting. And the law says if they don't loot over, I guess, 950, under a thousand basically, then it's okay. So it's okay. I mean, they don't enforce it because why enforce it? That means you have to go out and arrest somebody and then there's gonna be an incident because there's no deterrence on the police part. So if somebody is a quote unquote marginalized person and resist arrest, there's going to be people with their cell phones. They're going to be videoing it. And it's a lose, lose, lose situation. If you're a cop, you're either going to get hurt. You're going to get shot. You're going to be spat on. Or if you do make the perfect arrest and the suspect goes quietly, he's going to be out before you get back to your precinct. So they don't do it. And then the city knows they don't do it and wants them not to do it. And then what's the downside They're On the other hand, they're saying, hmm, those awful corporations will just have to take the loss. And then the corporations take it, take it, take it, take it, because they don't want to think corporation abandons marginalized community. But they finally do. And then when they do, all of the marginalized people have nowhere to go and they don't care because they could care less about that. Or the middle class has nowhere to go, especially they don't care. So if you're a middle class person in San Francisco and there's 11 fewer Walgreens, who cares? You're a nobody and they have no empathy for you. So if you've, you know, your child gets sick, and the doctor says, you got to get augmented right away, and you get a prescription. Now, all of a sudden, instead of walking around the block, you've got to drive five miles in heavy traffic. They don't care. They would rather make you go through that, because it's the least path of resistance. The other, they do care. And that's what's so frustrating and ultimately evil about the current manifestation of progressive ideology. I think all the listeners should be reminded of that, that this ideology is not peace and brotherhood. This is a deliberate war on people they don't like, and that are upper middle class, middle middle class, lower middle They could not care. The more those people and those three groups of that large conglomerate we call the middle class obey the rules, the more they're preyed and targeted upon. And the more people feel that they have an exemption, they take advantage of it, and the more they're appeased. They're no different than Neville Chamberlain. They really are. They're Chamberlain, and uh, only they're They're even more sympathetic with people that that break the law. So that district attorney knows that. He's told everybody in his office, don't prosecute marginalized people. Go after people who, you know, they put in a mailbox, uh, you know, on Sutter Hill or something, and it's two inches too tall. They'll pay that fine.
0: Well, Victor, we have one other thing we'll talk about on today's episode, and you mentioned it before, that uh, uh, you have written a piece for your website, victorhanson.com. And this is an exclusive piece, as is much of the content there. I forget if I made this pitch earlier, but I, I do recommend to our listeners visit and consider subscribing. It's $5 for a month. Stick your toe in the water with five bucks. You like it? That's $50 a year. And at that rate, it's more content and cheaper than an issue of any of your favorite conservative magazine. I think that's fair to to say. So, Victor, one of the sections you have is called Words Matter. You did a piece on 20 words that mean nothing, and you give a definition. And it's uh, word number five, diversity. And you define it as segregation revival, kind of Funny, but kind of sad. Some of the things are here, of the 20 words, are genuinely funny. Yeah, it is segregation revival. Again, we've talked before on podcasts about Martin Luther King might not know what the hell happened to the movement he started. Any thoughts about that you want to talk about that term or anything about this piece?
2: Well, anytime the left wants cultural change or what Barack Obama called fundamental transformation, fundamentally transforming America, you have to change the language. And so that's what they always do. And we mentioned climate change or global warming or diversity, or you never use the word quotas. You always use proportional representation or disparate impact. If you have segregation, it's always going to be what a safe space. And if you're going to have censorship, it's always a trigger warning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I just, in that piece i tried to remind people these are the words that they're using and you know they don't mean anything they're just political weaponry that the left uses to disguise reality which they feel otherwise people would would bite back they would say you know what i don't like that and so they try to control the language and and racism is one of them that they use all the time and notice with racism how they use these uh, adjectives, Jack, it used to be there was racism and there was not racism. And then as racism started to disappear and played a a smaller and smaller role in society to the point where in the last, I think it's six years, African-Americans of the middle class and other minorities have made better wage gains than white working people. Or when we hear disparate impact and it's a racist country and you look at the death figures, which the Pentagon just is meticulously careful to keep by race on every other thing, except they don't like to release death figures. It takes a while to find them, but it's about double the rate of white males. White males are about 35 percent of the population. They're dying in about 75 percent in Afghanistan and Iraq. So my point is they don't want. They don't want to talk about things like uh, that because it it confounds the idea that we are a racist society. So what do they do? The first thing they say to myself, oh, wow, we got to get the word racism. But there's I mean, what do we do with LeBron James and Oprah and the Obamas and all these black officials and and people that are overrepresented like Asian Americans and missions and and 16 different ethnic groups other than white that are making more per capita. Ah, I know what we'll do. We'll say systemic, we will say implicit, we will say structural, we will say implied. In other words, it's kind of invisible, but we will say it's invisible because it's everywhere. It's like oxygen, the air we breathe. And that's what they do. It's systemic racism. It's a micro, there's no aggression, but it's a microaggression. We can train you if you pay me enough and give me enough letters after my name and title me. I can, I can spot microaggressions. I can spot system. you can't because you're a dummy, you're deplorable, but, but I'm going to tell you where it is. And that's what they do. And they create new words and new psychodramas, lookism, you know, and all of these isms and ologies. I guess what we have to say, Jack, is why do they do it? And I think it's endemic. As a lot of philosophers have pointed out, going back to people that were very nihilistic, like Tacitus or Suetonius, the biographer, or maybe Petronius, the novelist, and then you go all the way into the Christian pessimist, and then you can go into Dante and some of the people in the early Renaissance, or even the German nihilist, Hegel, Spinger. They all were on Nietzsche. They were all into something, and that is when you go to a consensual society that champions human freedom, and when you go to a market capitalist economy that creates goods and services much more efficiently and than any other system, then you're creating a level of leisure and affluence and good living that's antithetical to the human condition, which were born flawed and imperfect. And so you must, you must restrain your appetites in some manner or you're going to be you sit home all day and watch Oprah reruns and get delivered pizza, right? So you do it with a church. You do it with religion. You do it with your family. You do it with shame. You do it any way you can not to do the thing. Or in other words, you become decadent. And so what I'm suggesting to you, a lot of people don't do that. And they've got so much money on their hands. They've got so much time on their hands. They, You know, I work in academia. And I, I remember the first day I left farming and went up there for a full-time job, I could not believe it, Jack. I would be farming for 12 hours. i I get off the tractor. I couldn't hear. I would be spraying and I'd blow out a roller pump and all of a sudden I'd be covered with surf land or I'd get paraquat on my hand and it would burn for weeks. And all this was farming or I'd pull out a shotgun because a coyote almost bit my dog or something. I go up here and I realize, wait a minute, I'm not working 12 hours a day. I'm working you know, I teach four classes a semester. That's a lot. That's 12 hours a week. I have my office hours. I'm sitting in my office. It's cool. I got air conditioning. And you know what? I'm I, I'm working nine months out of the year. I'm working about 180 days. I got Christmas. I got, you know what? I got a guaranteed pay. I got something called tenure pretty soon. This is a wonderful life. And then I go out and I, I go home at five and I get on the tractor. And I talk to these farmers and they were always upbeat. They were kind of dry, you know. Hey, Victor, how's that discon doing? You know, you just paid the bank twenty-seven dollars an hour to get on that track <laughs> They were kind of dry, but they were they were earthy. They were, you know, they were they knew. And you'd get up there, and you would get in your head, you know, you'd be out there on the ladder thinning trees, or you'd be pruning vines. And you'd say, "Wait a minute, tick 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 tick, insurance pro today. Tick tick, diesel fuel. Tick tick tick, pruning. Tick tick tick, wire." tick, 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 uh, liability, tick, tick maintenance and you would think where's the money to counterbalance all that that went out today. Oh, it's my packer, it's the co-op. We will we we found that your raisins were substandard. You had too many scars on your plum. We're not going to pay you what we thought. It's sorry or your load of peaches got sidetracked in Utah. We can't they weren't delivered. Safeway didn't get them so you're paying for. It. What I'm talking about is what 90% of the world goes through. Right. But not these people. Not these people that are very wealthy in tech and academia and the media. They have a whole different. And so as a result, they divert their attention to us to make life miserable for us. That's what they would do. I would be in these academic lounges. Same is true when, to a degree at Stanford. And people whine. They complain. Oh, man, Victor, it is so unfair. They're making us have an extra half hour of office hours. Did you hear that? Did you know that you, you have to teach one night class uh, uh, every other semester? Can you believe that? I don't know. You know what? They're not giving a parking stickers to anymore. We're going to have to walk 200 yards. So it was always that was with, oh, we had $200 in travel money and they fought like dogs over a piece of meat. And I'm thinking I just went to a guy who lost everything and he never said a word. It yeah. was farming. So I, I think you know, I'm not a Marxist. I'm not an anti-Western. I'm a very pro-American of the system and Western civilization and best system there has been that works. But it puts a big burden on us. And when you create these people like Warren Buffett and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg and the Google crowd and Jack Dorsey, and I could, you know, and diane feinstein and gavin newsom and all of these people and they start lecturing you about how you're going to live and you're going to do this and you're going to do that and then they go to the french laundry or they have a chinese communist spy as their chauffeur or you know they they want people to wear diapers they don't take uh, bathroom breaks or some people think they do at amazon Mm -hmm. or they're investing in china it gets a little hard to take, and I think that's at the root of all of our problem. To sum up, yeah. yeah, we've got an elite, a royal aristocratic elite, they're kind of like Marie Antoinette that dressed up as a peasant and kind of took a hoe and, and did it outside of Versailles in a little tiny kind of fake peasant village. That's what they do, but we're the, we're the people they practice on, and uh, they've got too much money, too much time on their hands, so they're going to worry about all these cosmic things. So, John Kerry's going to fly all the way around the world when he's not on his multimillion dollar yacht on his wife's private jet. And what's he not going to do? He's not going to stop in New York and say, my God, we got 10,000 or San Francisco. We got 20,000 people efficating on the street, urinating on the street, fornicating on the street with disease and sick. This isn't civilization. Or we think, wow, you can't walk. If you're a poor person, you can't walk Or downtown Chicago. This isn't civilization. No, no, I don't want to deal with that. I want to be cosmic. It's easier. And I want to shake my finger at people. If I shake my finger enough at people, then I don't have to be around these other earthy problems. So, you know, I mentioned that before in a podcast. It's, Dickens has a lot of novels about that, about all of these Victorians that, Want to save the Zulus, or they feel so bad about the caste system and British imperialism? Then you look at their homes, their kids that are—they're they're not out of control. They can't handle. Or there's Dickens is writing about poverty and starvation and thievery and horrific conditions in London right under their nose, and yet they're worried about somebody you know way off because it's it's solvable psychologically. It yeah, means you don't have to do anything. But here. Right? You've got to get dirty. So I always would say that when people, they would tell me, what can I do about the inner city? Or what can I'd always say, go tutor somebody, right? Go out to dinner with somebody, go, you know, work side by side with somebody. And I learned that from my grandfather of all people. He'd always say, I I remember I came home one day from high school and then we had a kind of a Cesar Chavez propaganda thing and said, I said, wow, I, I think I'll go and listen to a Cesar Chavez rally. He said, why do that? He goes, you got Manuel and you got Joe and you got all of our workers. Just go out and work with him all day and see what it's like and see if you can cut it and see if you could live on one. I give. I do. I give him a free house. I try to help. But if I'm not, if I'm wrong, you tell me. So uh-huh. I would have to go out and pick grapes and I have to prune. And I saw what it was like, but it wasn't like a student going to a Cesar Chavez rally. And I, it really taught me to be very respectful of muscular labor and the people right. who have to do it. And, but these people, the only time that they deal with people, the underclass is their gardener or their landlady or their cook. And they always say, I, I, I meet them sometimes. They say, you know, I, I gave Yolanda some extra clothes. Wow, great, yeah. thanks. Right. Or, you know, I pay top dollar. Well, I think that's good, but my point is, don't lecture people about how liberal they are and how they're going to have to listen to critical race theory unless your kid's going to have to listen to it. Or don't tell everybody about global warming unless you're willing to give up you know, right. fly, flying first class every week right. or a private jet. But they yeah, never do you, that.
0: You know, this is a lead into a plug for what I for what I do, which I'm going to preface by saying when I was a young boy, I worked on a vegetable truck. We called the fruit and vegetable truck that went around the neighborhood selling, selling our wares to the little old ladies and taking bets also for the races at Yonkers Raceway. But I, I, I'd like to think that we were selling plums, Grown in Selma on the on the Hanson farm, so I just I'm going to fantasize about that. Also, another fantasy, by the way, just a little suggestion. You've talked occasionally about your grandfather, and I think that would be great. And I, someday in your child's garden section of your website, maybe write about him because he sounds like a. A phenomenal guy. But in seriousness, what you just mentioned about helping people afar, I mean, there truly is a difference between charity and philanthropy. And where I work, you know, American philanthropic, even though the word philanthropic is in there, you know, we care about civil society. And yeah, it's Bill Gates. The guy who's working at the Bill Gates Foundation is more worried about some program, which up for addressing an illness in Africa, which are typically very disruptive and don't and end up not fixing any problem, but causing other problems. Uh, but no of no charity to the homeless guy in front of the building who you know needs a hamburger or something. You're quite right about you have means to engage in the corporal works of mercy, right in your own zip code, probably right in your own street, do that instead of virtue signaling about things afar. So that's my little spiel. But Victor, I do want to recommend now to our listeners, again, that they visit your website, victorhanson.com. And now I'm reading off of the Amazon website. You can order The Dying Citizen. You'll find a link there on Victor's website. But here's one of the reviews left at Amazon by no name. It's by Amazon Reader. you even leave a name, but it's it's titled Brilliant Thinker and Great Accomplishment. He gave the book five stars and he said, I knew the book might be brilliant as well as uh, all the previous ones. But this one touches the most and deepest strings of our society and our everyday lives. The sound is high and very well pitched. Bravo, maestro. So thank you, nameless person, for that review on Amazon of The Dying Citizen. And then, as you know, we read the comments that people regularly put on iTunes. You have five-star rating there. Victor, Victor Davis Hansen Show is five-star rating. Here's one comment left by Thomas W which I assume stands for West Palm Beach, best thinker in public life, quote, no one is as clear and insightful a thinker as VDH, nor illustrates their point as effectively and efficiently. Not only will you learn about current events, the classics, and World War II history, but just by listening, you'll get an education on speaking and storytelling. And uh, yeah, he's uh, Thomas WPB, you're right. Thanks for that. Thanks to all that leave ratings on iTunes and leave comments. Again, we do, we do read them and uh, we appreciate them. As for me, Victor, well, you have VictorHanson.com. Folks go there, subscribe to the special service. I'd uh, encourage our listeners if they're interested in the little things I do, centerforcivilsociety.com, check it out. And also write a weekly email newsletter, Civil Thoughts, and you can find a link to that. Subscribe, it's free, civilthoughts.com. Thanks kindly. Uh, we thank everyone for listening. Victor, thank you for sharing uh, your wisdom on so many subjects today. I want to encourage our listeners to check out also The Culturalist, where Victor and the great Sammy Wink talk about things historical and other matters, classical and historical. Victor, thanks so much for uh, letting me be your host. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I appreciate listening and talking to you. I know it's something that many other people envy us of. So y'all have a good week and we'll be back again soon with another episode. And thank everybody for listening. And thank you, Jack, once
1: again. God bless all. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events. And you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.